official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Amen. Isaiah, thank you so much for taking two years of your life to go serve in Mexico. That is just so inspiring and humbling to me. How many of you folks are going to go get Chinese food after to get a fortune cookie? I want God to talk to me like that, right? I think it's cool. Isn't it cool how God talks to us? But the, the primary way that God speaks to us is through Scripture. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to, I'm going to provide a, a sermonette, which is like instead of my 30-minute sermon, it's 15 minutes. So you have to be like ready to engage Scripture this morning for that to happen. Are you all guys ready to do that? Okay, so what we've been doing for the summer is picking one word from Scripture and kind of digging down deep to see the roots of that word and what does it fully mean. Um, And the word for today is the word Passover. And the Hebrew word for Passover is Pesach. Can you say that with me? Pesach. So you're you're learning Hebrew every week. That, that, That word is used 49 times in the Old Testament. Now, the Greek transliteration of that word, which is used in the New Testament, is paska. And so these are the two words that we're going to look at, but they both mean Passover. And um, the reason I chose this word today is because on the last Sunday of every month, our church community takes communion together. Um, I grew up Roman Catholic, and I had a really hard time as a kid sitting through Mass. And I saw that there were kids my age up on the, on the podium, on the stage, helping the priest with communion and ringing bells, and they got to wear robes. And I thought, maybe that will make Mass shorter if I'm doing something, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm helping out. And so I volunteered to be an altar boy. And the altar boys, like the big job of the altar boy is to ring the bells, How many of you have ever been to a Catholic Mass before? That was my coveted job, but I didn't get that job very often. But I did get to help serve communion. Now, at that time, I I didn't fully understand what communion was all about. It wasn't until later on in my life that I discovered its roots, that it's something we get from the Last Supper, right? Where Jesus had his last meal with his disciples before going to the cross. And the Last Supper was actually a Passover meal. It was a Passover meal. So today, by looking at the word Passover, I'm hoping that we get a deeper understanding of what it means when we take communion together. And I'll say this, if these two communion tables had roots under them, we wouldn't be able to see them because there's these tablecloths, but if they had roots under them, they would go down deep past the Last Supper, all the way to the book of Exodus. Because the book of Exodus is the first time the word Passover is mentioned in Exodus chapter 12. And in hermeneutics, which is just a fancy word for study of scripture, there's a principle called the first mention principle. And what it means is the first time a word is mentioned or used in scripture, it carries significant weight. That usually the first time a word appears in Scripture, there's lots of meaning wrapped up in that word. And we've been saying this the last few weeks, 
that the Hebrew language is a pictorial language. Um, have you guys ever heard the phrase before that a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, in Hebrew, a picture is worth 10,000 words because it's a pictorial language. So often, one single Hebrew word tells a whole story. And so Pesach or Passover is one of those words. So here's what we're going to do in the next 10 minutes. We're going to go back to Exodus 12, look at the first time Passover is mentioned. We're going to go to the Last Supper in the Gospel of Luke and look at that Passover meal. And then I want to explain really quickly why we take communion together as a church community. So you guys ready to do this? Exodus chapter 12. Here's the setting in Exodus chapter 12 when Passover is first mentioned. Israel, the nation of Israel, had been in bondage, enslaved to Egypt for roughly 300 years. And God sees the injustice. He sees their pain, their turmoil, how their taskmasters are slaving over them, keeping them in bondage. And so he raises up Moses to deliver them from slavery. But Pharaoh is, is set on not letting them go free. And because God is a God of justice, he says, okay, you're, you're, you're not going to set them free. Uh, I'm going to send 10 plagues. And each plague demonstrated the defeat of an Egyptian deity. So for instance, when, when, when there was a plague of frogs, we find out that's one of the plagues. Uh, the frogs come up out of the Nile and they're everywhere and it's just chaotic. And, and it, you can imagine like just thousands and thousands of frogs everywhere you go. And the Egyptians worshipped a goddess of water and fertility, and she actually had a head of a frog. And so that plague was God's way of saying, let's see if your fertility god of water, <laughs> your goddess, is going is to help you here with this frog problem you have. Right? Another plague that they had was darkness. That it was dark. And the Egyptians worshipped Ra, the sun god. And so it was God's way of, of, of making it known to both Israel and Egypt that your God is, is not matching up to the one true God. Another uh, plague that happened was the Egyptians had all kinds of sores and boils. Well, they also worshiped the God of medicine called Isis. And that was God's way of saying, hey, let's see if Isis can deliver you. Right? And so not only was Egypt seeing this, but the nation of Israel who was in bondage was seeing this. And so the last and final plague before Pharaoh finally relented and released the Israelites was the death of the firstborn. And here's where the word Pesach or Passover is first mentioned. Exodus chapter 12, here's what happens. God gives specific instructions to Moses for something called a Passover meal. And they're very specific, the instructions. But let me just give you the, the, the basics of it. He tells them to take a spotless lamb without blemish and, and eat it together with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And if a family couldn't afford a spotless lamb, they were to share it together. And that, that lamb was called the Passover lamb. Right? And what they would do, what God told them to do, is to take a hyssop branch and take some of the blood from that lamb and to apply it on their doorpost. So when the angel of death passed over, it would see the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and it would pass over them. 
right? That's where the, the term Passover originated in Exodus 12. Look at verse 12 of the chapter 12. It says this, On the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I'll bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So this Passover meal and the blood of the lamb applied to their doorposts caused death to pass over them. So the word Passover, it tells this entire story of the Exodus, right? Now let's fast forward to the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus and his disciples share a Passover meal together, their last meal before Jesus goes to the cross. And I'm going to invite Jordan O'Trubo. He's going to come up and read our passage for us. It's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, and say, Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, "This, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Thank you, Jordan. And so Jesus takes the bread and the cup, and he tells his disciples, this bread is my body. It's a strange thing to say, right? This bread is my body given for you. And he says, this cup is my blood which is poured out for you. What did Jesus mean when he said that? I mean, if I was one of his disciples, I would sit there and be like, okay, whatever. Look, we're going to eat now? <laughs> like, this bread is your body? This cup is, is your blood of the new covenant? See, what Jesus is doing here is he's telling them, I'm the Passover lamb. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, that Jesus is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world, right? That he was the lamb without spot or blemish who gives his life so that we can find life, so that death will pass over us. That we could be free from bondage, free from the bondage of a meaningless life, free from the bondage of sin, free from the bondage of death. And so Jesus is telling them, as you eat this bread, the bread of life, and as you drink this cup, the new covenant in my blood, understand the significance of what's being made available to you. He tells them, every time you do this, 
remember. And that's what brings us to the communion table this morning. See, the communion table points us directly toward Jesus' perfect work of redemption. And we all get to have a seat at his table. See, there's a theme of a table and eating and communion all throughout Scripture. We go all the way back to the book of Exodus. We read about this Passover meal. We fast forward to the Gospels. We see Jesus having the Passover meal with, the, with his disciples. We fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation. And what do we read about? A great banquet table, right? Where we, we eat together with our Lord. And so it points us toward Jesus' perfect work of redemption. And when we take the bread and the cup, we remember how the roots of God's redemptive plan go way deep down. That God's redemptive plan has always been grounded, unshakable, firm. It was in place before the foundations of the world, which means that he was always resolved to rescue us. He was always resolved to free us from bondage. He, 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 he was never going to let us live a meaningless life and a life of sin and death. He was always resolved, and it was firm. It was unshakable. That's what, that's what Passover communicates. It goes all the way back, all the way back to the Exodus. So when we take the bread and the cup, it, it's, it's an invitation to have a seat at his table be free from the bondage of sin and death. And, and we take it and we remember and re, we reflect on what Jesus did and how Jesus chose to become our Passover lamb, making it possible for death to, to pass over us. And all we need to do then, because it's his work, it's not our own work, all we need to do is apply the blood of Jesus on the doorpost of our hearts. Right? If you ever, you ever come to church and you wondered, what's all this stuff about the blood of Jesus? you know, washed in the blood of Jesus. What is, that sounds gory. Like somebody could hear that and be like, what is all this, this talk? It all goes back to Passover, Pesach, right? That through Jesus' sacrifice, by him choosing to become our Passover lamb, we apply that to the, to, through faith to the doorposts of our heart and death passes over us. Man, if that doesn't get you stirred up, I can't help you. <laughs> Only the Holy Spirit can come and, like, and like tell you, like, hey, listen, you were dead, and now Christ makes you alive. You were in bondage, and now he sets you free. So when we come to the communion table, it's not just taking a, a piece of bread and a little bit of grape juice. There's something way more significant that's happening, right? We're remembering that Jesus became our Passover lamb. It's not what we've done. It's what he's done. And, and through faith, we just apply that sacrifice to the doorposts of our heart, and death passed us over. We have new life. We have freedom in Christ. And all we need to do to apply that blood of the lamb on our hearts is say, Jesus, I trust in your redemptive work on the cross. Cleanse me, forgive me of my sins. I don't, I don't want to live in bondage to a meaningless life. I don't want to live in bondage to sin and to death. I want freedom and new life, the, the, the life that only comes from you. And I want to seat at your table. That's what we're doing. And so maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never had communion like this before. Maybe you're like me, you grew up Roman Catholic. You just came in and took bread and and the juice, you just, that's what everybody does. But this morning, my hope is that when you come to the communion table, 
you, you understand a little bit deeper significance of what we're doing, right? And so I'm going to invite you all to stand, and I'm going to pray for us. And I invite the band to come. And let me give you a few instructions just so you know what we're doing here. We have two tables. The table to my right has a gluten-free option that's, that's labeled. So if you're, if you're gluten intolerant, that's, that's the plate for you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to take a piece of bread, come down each aisle, take a piece of bread and take a cup and bring it back to your seat because we're going to take communion together. Okay? So let me pray. Heavenly Father, it, it's humbling to know that before the foundation of the world, you were set on rescuing us. And that you gave your only son. That Jesus willingly came and offered himself to become our Passover lamb. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin and death in a meaningless life. So God, as we come forward to the communion table and we take the bread and the cup, God, we ask that you would reveal to us in a fresh new way what Jesus did. The price he paid so that we could have life. God, I pray for every person here as they take the bread and the cup, Lord, that you would minister to them in a deep, profound way, um, that you would reveal to them who you are and your goodness and your grace and your love and your forgiveness. God, and I pray that as we do this together as a church community, God, that we would all leave here different, that chains would fall off of us, shackles would, would break off of us, no longer in bondage, but walking in, in freedom and liberty that we find in Christ Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everyone. This is Ian from Church at the Well. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Man, that was a word. But if you would like, stick around because we're going to hear from Isaiah Corey right after I am done talking because he shared this Sunday as well as Adam. That's why the sermon was a little bit abbreviated. And Isaiah's been a part of our church family from the very beginning, but for the past two years, he's been a missionary working at an orphanage in Guadalajara, Mexico. And we get to hear a little bit about what he's been up to and where he is headed. And so stick around and hear from Isaiah. Grace and peace, my friends. Man, well, it's really good to be here this morning. I'm, I'm really excited to be with you guys. There's a lot of new faces, which is exciting, but I'm also really happy and I guess quite comfortable that this space right here will always be empty. I don't know why no one ever sits there, but it's, it's been that way for how, however many years we've been here. Um, yeah, well, so I, I've been in Mexico for the past two years and uh, got an opportunity to speak here last year. And so I'm not going to go over sort of all the steps that led me to deciding to be a missionary in Mexico and sort of some of the um, what it looks like for what it looked like for God to call me. And if those are questions that you're interested in, because maybe you're thinking about um, missions work or what does it mean to hear God's voice, I, I would love to talk with you about that stuff. I'm just not going to share it now, but feel free to ask me later or catch me on the email or whatever. What I am going to do today is uh, share two things, and that's first of all what God did in the lives of the boys. Uh, that I worked with as a result of my ministry, and then secondly, what God did uh, in my heart as a result of going to Mexico and working with these boys. Uh, 
Do we have the photos, Ian? Excellent. All right. So these are the boys that I worked with. These are uh, 18 young men who have come across unfortunate circumstances in their lives. Uh, they were born into uh, families that couldn't take care of them, or they were abused by those people that they trusted most, uh, and they ended up at this orphanage called the Hope House, just south of Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, and so I love these guys, and I love to uh, talk about them a little bit with you this morning. So for those of you who uh, did hear me speak last year, uh, Last year, the, the first year that I was in Mexico was really an opportunity to grow relationships with the boys, um, to earn their trust, to get to know them, and for them to get to know me, and uh, to set a, found, set a foundation. And most of the work I was doing was uh, purely academic. I, I was tutoring them. And in this second year, I, I continued to tutor them. That was what I did day in and day out. But what I really wanted to see was some more opportunities for spiritual discipleship and mentoring. And so I get back to Mexico at the end of last summer, and I get together with my missionary friend Cam and his wife Eden, and the three of us set up a youth group for our oldest boys, the middle schoolers and the high schoolers. And so we've got uh, these eight guys. I think if you go to the next slide, you'll see them. Yeah. This is, this is our youth group, minus one. Um, and these guys are just uh, a joy and a lot of fun. The question is, you know, what, what did God do in their lives over the past year? Well, I'll tell you what we did, and then I'll tell you some stories uh, about what happened. Um, we started off uh, every Saturday morning getting together. We went to Cam's house, and the three of us had prepared every week uh, games and activities, a time of teaching and reflection for the boys. And so every Saturday evening, we'd gather together, and we went through some really cool series with them. Uh, we started off with something that was very non-threatening, and that was just church tradition. What, do, what are those things that we do in church, and why do we do them? But slowly, we got to get deeper with the boys, and we started talking about the attributes of God. Who is this God that we worship, and what is he all about? And then from there, we went into one of my favorite times, which was about worship. What does it look like to see and to savor the Lord? And so we went through a whole bunch of really neat activities with them, like worship through prayer, worship through live music, worship through artwork, which I know is a big value of this church. And so we just got to explore a bunch of different ways that they could begin to listen for God's voice and just open them up to the possibilities that that they could actually hear from God and that they could share with God their problems and their joys, and he could be a friend to them. And then the last series that we did before I left was called Dust. And uh, Cam had found this, uh, this Hebrew quote, which said, it was a blessing. It said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the idea was in those times that a disciple would follow their teacher and they would, wherever the teacher went, they would go. And whatever the teacher did, they would do. And so if you were following him really closely on the road from one town to another, his sandals would kick up the dirt on the road and you'd be covered in his dust. And so that was the picture that we ran with. And it was all about what does it look like for us to become better disciples of Jesus? And we stuck with that for several weeks. And that was a really neat time. And so we get, we get to the end of this time. 
and uh, we had been doing a weekly readathon. So I may talk more about the library project that we did with the boys, but we had we had one week Monday through Friday where the boys were encouraged to read, and we had gotten a whole bunch of new books, and one of these older guys, Ulises, we call him Uli. Actually, if you go back to the other slide, he's, uh, he's the one in the blue with his tongue sticking out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Uli, he, he's not a big reader. He didn't want to read lots of text. So he asked if he could read one of the graphic novels that we had gotten. And so what he found, what the, the graphic novel he chose was called The Life of Jesus. And it, it went through the story of one of the Gospels. Perhaps it was John. And uh, so that's what he read for that week. And we were going through this series uh, on discipleship and, and following Jesus. And we get to the end of the week, and I'm in the library, and he comes to return his book to me. And he's grinning from ear to ear, and he's got these big eyes. And he goes, Isaiah, everything that you and Cam taught us is true. <laughs> I said, I, you, what do you mean? That everything that you and Cam taught us about Jesus is true. He said, I, I read it in the book. Um, I said, that, that's great, Uli. And, and I don't really know exactly what he meant. But here's the thing. What I could tell, everything about his affect was that he had seen something in Jesus that he'd never seen before. Right? There was something compelling to him about Jesus for the first time because we had been talking about him. He'd been reading about him. And something clicked for the first time in 18 years. A guy who's been with us at this house for, t for seven or eight years He'd been going to church, he had been hearing all the stories, but for some reason now, he saw Jesus in a new light. And it was just really cool. I was talking to a couple of the kids. Um, afterwards, we were working on some projects at the end of the year for their school, and, uh, and I just asked them a question. I said, uh, are, are you guys praying? And they said, yeah. I said, when do you pray? And they said, every night before we go to bed. I said, how long have you guys been doing that? I said, well, since we did the prayer series with you guys, we started praying every night before bed. I said, did you do that before? No, we didn't. Well, so now we've got seven or eight guys who are praying every night before they go to bed just because we spent some time with them and taught them how to pray. Um, and so to think that now they've got a tool to speak with their God for the rest of their lives is, is really neat to think about. And it didn't take that much on our part. Right? It just took us being faithful to, uh, to following God's lead um, with the youth group. So here are some of our guys. I know some Christians have a problem with Harry Potter. If that's you, we can talk about how the gospel's all over Harry Potter. I love this series. But, um, but we, we read... <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, but we read, we read all sorts of things uh, with the boys. We went through the Narnia series um, reading every evening, and we just got to do some really cool books with them. Um, if you want to hear more about the library project and how we are helping those boys with a, a skill reading, um, I'd be happy to talk about that afterwards. But uh, the thing I was most excited about was some of these spiritual disciplines that the guys have gained. Um, so that was, the, that was the answer to the first question, what did God do in the life of the boys? And so now I want to talk a little bit about the second question I posed, which is what God did in my life as a result of following his call uh, to the mission field. And as I was thinking about this, there was really one thing that, that came to mind over and over again, and that, that is 
something God was trying to teach me over the course of two years, and that's his provision, his provision for his children, and specifically his provision for me and as a child of his. And there are just so many stories and parts along the way in which God really showed himself to be faithful and giving me what I needed. Some that everyone could kind of say, oh, yeah, that's an example of God's provision. Like when I had a, a big donor had to step out and stop supporting me for some, some family reasons. They needed money for, uh, for something in their family. And so God sent a number of families. This was, this was my second biggest donor. God sent a number of families to provide all of the, the funds that I needed um, to cover uh, what I was going to miss out when they, when they were no longer able to support. So things like that. And then there were things that were little and, and really small. If I told you what they were, you'd probably laugh and think that they were silly. But they were small ways in which God showed me over and over again, I care about you. Uh, I love you. I'm, I'm doing something nice for you. I want to give you a little something. But I think the, the story that I'll tell now is, um, is at the end of my time. And, and um, if this was back in February, and I'm planning to come back to the States. And for those who go off and do missionary work, a big question is, what are you going to do when you finish the missionary work? Um, so I'll get to share the story, and you'll learn about where I'm going in the future. Um, so um, it's February, and for the past several months before that, I had been looking for uh, jobs in education in California. Um, and so I've been meeting with lots of people. I've been asking them. I've been networking. I've been doing all sorts of things. Uh, but February finally comes, and I've got some interviews lined up. And so I'm going up to California to do some interviews. And uh, I don't know why, but I am in the airport, and I'm so anxious. And all these questions are running through my head, like, what happens if I don't get a job? What happens with uh, this relationship with this young woman in California, if I can't get a job in California, what happens with my career if I can't get a job, and all this stuff is just like playing on repeat in my head, and I'm worried. And God's been trying to teach me for two years that he's going to provide for me and take care of me, but I'm, I'm not feeling like that right in this moment. And uh, so I'm, I'm on a layover in L.A., and, uh, and I stop at Panda Express, and I am not saying that God speaks this way all the time, but he did in this circumstance. I got a fortune cookie. All right? And yeah, it was a special fortune cookie. And, it's, and, it's, and it said, uh, a good position and a comfortable salary will be yours. And I go, you dummy. You had to have God write it down for you to remember what he's been trying to teach you for two years. Um, Man, so I, so I, won't, I won't forget that. And anyway, so I'm, there's a cool second part of the story that I won't tell now. But um, as a result of that week, God ended up providing an opportunity for me. So after a couple of weeks here, I'm, I'll be moving out to California uh, to work at a, at a private Christian school teaching Spanish um, to, to middle and high school students. All right, so I'm really excited about that, and it's going to be a way for me to continue in ministry while not being so far away. So um, that's, that's the story of what God's been doing in my life, really trying to teach me provision, and that God does provide for us, that God wants to provide for you too. Um, 
and that God really does take care of his people. I think there was a line uh, in one of the songs that we sang today that says, you know, we are not forsaken, right? Uh, and if you're a child of God, you're not forsaken, right? So I think I've got a couple more photos, and we can just show them, and, and um, I'll just mention a couple words about them, and then I'll wrap up this time. Oh, this is the last photo. Great. Uh, so one of the, you know, one of the, one of the joys is, uh, of being on the mission field is, is getting to know people. And this is a guy named Ricardo. Uh, he is uh, 18 now. Uh, and so as we have to do with, uh, with guys who turn 18, we say goodbye. And uh, so we were saying goodbye to this guy. And you can see the tears in his eyes. Uh, he's pretty sad. Um, you know, and that's probably the hardest thing about coming back, was saying goodbye to all the guys. Um, but, uh, well, I don't really know what to say about that, because sometimes it's just hard, right, to say goodbye. It's hard to say goodbye. And it doesn't need more explanation than that, probably. So, maybe that's where I'll end. Yeah. So some of you know Isaiah really well because he's been a part of our family, church family here for eight years, nine years, since the, since the beginning, yeah, forever, <laughs> forever as this church is. So, so some of you know him really well, and you're, you're going to be saying goodbye to Isaiah as he heads to Mexico. So that is a good place to end. But also, um, there's this beautiful thing, I think, in that when God brings people together, he knits them together as family. And we've seen it over the years in our church. People come in and people go out. And our hope is this. If you're new to the church at the well, if you're kind of new to the area, etc., that you would be able to quickly become family, welcome in, find a home. Maybe that's somewhere else. Maybe that's another church. But um, it's our prayer that you'd be able to f- be welcomed in as family quickly. Also, it's our, our hope and our prayer as a church family that we're able to send people out as family. So the beautiful thing about saying goodbye is we send him out as family, which means we have a family member in the Bay Area who will know where all the good taco spots are, etc., right? Amen. On every corner. Um, So we're going to pray for Isaiah. um, And if you're wanting to pray for Isaiah in your time as well right now, he's asked for two specific things. He's asked for... uh, currently is a very practical need uh, as he looks for housing. And so we're going to pray for that this morning, but also for wisdom in his relationships. And so we're going to be praying for that as well. I pray. God, we thank you for the gospel work that you did in and through Isaiah in Mexico. We, We just thank you for all of those testimonies of you working your goodness through him, um, that you were able to bless so many Uh, through the work of his hands, and that you also blessed him in that process, that he learned more about who you are um, and and what you're doing in our world, that you're making things right. We thank you for the example he set to us as a church community, uh, as you sent him out, that he challenges Mm -hmm. all of us uh, and encourages all of us uh, to uh, really ask the question, what does it look like to hear your voice? What does it look like to Uh, be an ambassador of the gospel, whether here in Vermont or whether in Guadalajara 
or whether in the Bay Area, Lord. We just thank you that his life speaks that testimony. We pray together as a church. We just ask that you would open up the right path, the right place for him to live in the Bay Area. May it be affordable. <laughs> we just ask for your provision in that. We ask that if there are roommates, there's a roommate situation, that you would uh, put the right people in that apartment or that home, um, that, that they would be able to encourage Isaiah and he'd be able to encourage them mm-hmm. as well. Um, and we thank you that you are... Uh, con- going to continue to provide for Isaiah mm-hmm. um, and that we're sending him out as as a family. God, we just ask that you'd give him wisdom. Your spirit would speak wisdom to him as well in his relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.